The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome into the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. And we are glad to be here uh, previewing a real football game that counts. No more will this guy make the roster. No more how did this backup look in the preseason. No, we're going to be talking about wins and losses for the next four months. And that is... Very, very exciting. Um, But before we hop into the episode, since it's our first episode of the season, I thought it would be nice if we uh, kind of explained what it is we do here at the Titan Size Podcast and and the three of us reintroduced ourselves. Um, So I'll start by explaining what it is we do here, and then, Matthias, you can begin the introductions. Uh, So we are Mm -hmm. the Titan Size Podcast. We are, as far as I know, the best Titans, Tennessee Titans podcast, but also the only Titans podcast that incorporates uh, high-quality analysis, previews, and recaps of every Titans game. We have guests from local and national media, one of them being on today's episode. We've done lots of interviews with Titans players. Um, Taewon Taylor's been on the show. Jonathan Cyprian's been on the show. Um, Rashawn Evans and Jarrell Casey will be on today's show. And... uh, I, I, we do really good things overall. Um, one of the things that's really important to us is analysis and not just sitting and talking about who we like or don't like. We really dive into the matchups with each game and really get into the football stuff. And I think that's what makes us the best Titans podcast. So, Matthias, you can uh, start off the introductions. Okay, so uh, my name is Matthias Wagner. For all of our new viewers, listeners, obviously not viewers, to all of our new listeners, uh, I hope thank no you for one's tuning doing in. This is happening. <laughs> yeah, I hope I, I don't know how they even would. Uh, some some future technological advancements. I mean, I'm, I'm looking anyway. at my window right now to make sure that no one is viewing as this is going on. <laughs> so, to all of our new listeners, thank you for joining, and to all of our returning listeners, you're great. Keep uh, keep listening and keep tuning into our podcast because we appreciate what you guys do for us. Um, so I am the site co-expert for TitanSize.com, um, along with uh, my co-editor, Will, who will introduce himself in a second. Um, and I'm just I'm just glad the, the season's back, honestly. Uh, the preseason really wore thin on me. Uh, even the first game, I I didn't even want to see us play. Honestly, I was just I was I was dreading injuries. Um, I was scared maybe we weren't gonna look good 
on offense and defense. So I really just want a regular season to get here. Thankfully, it did. It did come at, at the cost of a couple of minor injuries, um, but we should be good to go. And uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm just excited for another season of Titans football, especially after two successful seasons in a row. Yeah, and I'm uh, Will Lomas, who's also the co-editor. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, we write a bunch of stuff. I do a lot of draft stuff uh, for the site, too, and argue about trades I think should happen and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, which, like like Khalil Mack, which got panned, and then all of a sudden he got traded, and everybody's not talking on my timeline anymore. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's great, you know. Uh, I mean, we just have fun. We don't get too, too serious about it, but we, you know, we have fun and try to give you educated opinions based on what we see and what we review. If you are new to uh, listening to our show or if, if this is one of your first episodes tuning in, you will quickly learn that Will is our resident conspiracy theorist regarding the NFL. Uh, he, he's predicted trades I mean, that, for true, Rashard Matthews true. and Tajay Sharp. Um, I'm trying to think. Were there any other players that Will thought was going to get traded, Matias? I'm not sure, but honestly, I think he's been pretty spot on with a lot of them because we don't really know what has. goes on in those right. rooms. <laughs> um, Especially the Rashard situation. That's been, that's been weird for a while. So yeah, and uh, don't count it out. I'm I'm Luke Worsham. I used to write with these two guys at. Uh, Titan-sized, and now I uh, write for A to Z Sports Nashville. I'm a Titans reporter for them, but I decided to stick around for the podcast, which is one of my favorite parts about what all I get to do with the Titans. Um, So I'm thrilled to be hopping into another year of that, and we're going to go ahead and get underway with our preview episode. Um, So in our preview episodes, we we look at matchups, we look at both teams' rosters, where strength and weaknesses fall, and then when we get into our recap episodes, it will be more, you know, what what went wrong, what went right, those sorts of things. So as we kick off our preview episode, and by the way, we're available on iTunes, not SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Google Play, and uh, I think there's another one. I'm not sure. But uh, please subscribe, leave a five-star rating. Uh, that lets us know you're listening, and that lets us know that we're doing a good job. And if we're not doing a good job, uh, still leave a five-star rating. All right, so yeah, leave let- a five-star rating. <laughs> helps, uh, you know, the good things we're doing, even if you hate the podcast. Yeah. Uh, tweet, tweet at us, though. I, I, love the, I love those tweets, please. Yeah, so I can mute you. Later in the episode, we will have the three of us will talk to uh, Cameron Wolf of ESPN.com, who formerly was on the Titans beat, now he's on the Dolphins beat. We'll also have quick uh, after practice interviews with uh, Rashawn Evans and Jarrell Casey. Uh, so let, let's start talking about the Titans in this matchup that they have against the Dolphins uh, and begin with the 53 man roster. Obviously, the three biggest surprises were Matt Dickerson, Cameron Batson, and uh, Stinney, Aaron Stinney. That's his name, right? Aaron Stinney? Correct. Um, so obviously the two of those guys were surprises. And, you know, we don't need to sit here and talk about, you know, these guys who are probably never even going to see the field. I don't know, Batson may see the field. But at other positions, where do you feel the strengths and weaknesses of this roster lie? Uh, but before I get anywhere, just the Aaron Stinney making the roster, that is – it, it flabbergasted me. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he didn't show anything in preseason. Um, so that was weird. But anyway, I'm going <laughs> I'm going to an- actually answer the question now. Um, I'm a little concerned about our defensive line depth. To be completely honest with you, I, I know we need to keep a lot of edge players right now because uh, we're dealing with a bunch of at the position. Um, but going into the season with five defensive linemen, uh, when you start three. Um, and one of the backups might be Benny Logan, who's strictly a nose tackle. Um, and the other guys, Matt Dickerson, who w- was a fringe player. I mean, I honestly, I didn't even think he was going to make the roster at all. Um, and he, he's just a very raw prospect. So going into the season with, with just those five guys um, is a little bit of a concern to me. And I think that's uh, – I wouldn't – the position is a weakness because Casey Johnson and Jones are – a perfect fine um, top three, um, but the depth depth just really concerns me, especially if one of those top three goes down. Yeah, 
I don't know why Julius Wormsley didn't make the team. Yeah. Uh, he seemed clearly to be the best backup. You know, I thought he did more than Austin Johnson. I thought he did more than Daquan Jones. I, I, mean, I thought he was really good. I thought he was a lock for sure. Dickerson kind of came out of nowhere, but I think they also were like really intrigued by his size. And, and I mean, he's, you know, 6'5. You know, it's, he's kind of got this weird frame, but I really don't know. Like, that, that concerns me too more than I thought it was going to because I thought Wormsley was a better player. Um, you hear wide receiver a lot. I, I just don't know how concerned I am about wide receiver. You know, if, if your top four guys are Rashard, uh, Corey Davis, Tajay Sharp, Taewon Taylor, you know, you play your fifth guy like 70 snaps a year if everybody's healthy. So there's really no reason to, you know, bolster a position with somebody who's going to play 70 snaps. I'm not super worried about that. Um, kind of the position that's got me a little bit concerned right now is just offensive tackle. Um, just because I don't know whether it was the wording of, uh, you know, a John Glennon tweet or what, but I'm more concerned about Conklin being, uh, you know, out for one or two more weeks after this season or after the season, after this week, just because of how, you know, he phrased a tweet, but seeing him work on the sideline and if Dennis Kelly is good, it really doesn't matter. But if Dennis Kelly gets hurt or something, or he just doesn't play well, I, I don't know. It really scares me to kind of think about who's going to have to step in for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we hop into specifics of, of the Titans matchup with the Dolphins, one more issue about the Titans uh, roster uh, the outside linebacker position is one where the Titans have a lot of depth and a lot of talent, but uh, as of late, they've had a lot of health issues. Now, Brian Arakpo returned to practice in full capacity on Monday. Uh, Morgan was limited, and Harold Landry wasn't there at all. The, uh, he's not wearing a boot anymore. I would expect to not see – definitely Landry. You're probably not going to see Morgan this week. So, with those guys being out, what do you think is the ideal plan to re- replace those guys? Is it a combination of, of you mentioned, uh, Kamali Correa and, and Wallace? Is it something else? What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not ideal, obviously, um, and, and we'll see who's going to play. Um, but, but at least we have four edge players. So, Arakpo, Wallace, Finch, and Correa. I mean, it's not what we were hoping for or what we were expecting for in week one. I mean, we were expecting Edge to be the deepest part of the roster, but injuries happen and you have to adapt. Um, but I, I wouldn't feel terrible going in, into the game uh, with those four. Um, I know Correa just got brought in, but but he's shown some things in the past. Uh, Aaron Wallace really hasn't hasn't flashed as much as he has maybe in previous previous off seasons. Um, uh, but Finch, Finch looked really good. I know it was against second and third um, but but there's a reason he made the team. Um, so I, I don't feel too terrible about it. Um, and especially if we get Rashawn Evans back for this game, um, we could definitely use him uh, on some pass rushing uh, downs because he showed in at Alabama that he's very adept um, with some of his pass rushing uh, skills and moves. So I, I don't feel terrible, although I do think one of Morgan or Landry is going to play. Uh, like you said, Landry's out of the boot, um, which is old news. I know he hasn't practiced, but but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and Morgan being back to limited um, already during game week is actually a pretty good sign, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, Rashawn Evans is interesting to talk about because if he's healthy, it changes a lot about how I view this defense because I think he can play some hybrid, kind of like how the Patriots use Donta Hightower and how uh, – they use Jamie Collins a little bit in that, that you know, they're both kind of ath- – they're all three kind of athletic players who, you know, Evans had 15 sacks in college. He was almost better as a defensive end slash pass rusher edge, whatever you want to call it, than he was as an inside linebacker just because he was more refined there because that's where he played most of his career. So if it's a pinch and you're telling me I need to get somebody to rush the passer, I mean – it's not a terrible idea to bring Finch on the field and let him play opposite Casey as kind of another three technique and then have uh, Brian Arakpo and Rashawn Evans rush opposite. I, I think that's a pretty solid defensive front. You know, I, even if they don't do that, I feel pretty comfortable with Kamala Correa 
um, as the second real pass rusher. And then if you think it's going to be a rushing down, bring in Sharif Finch just because I think he's stronger at the point of attack. It's it's weird because when you're looking at a roster, you usually don't look at the edge guys and think who can hold up versus the run. You're thinking who can get to the quarterback. And I think all three of those guys plus Evans could do that. But I'm almost more concerned with their ability to stop the run um, just because I think they've got people that can get to the quarterback. So I'll be interested to see if they play Wallace at all because I don't I don't know that they love him especially after the trade, but, you know, he did fine as a run defender. He just really didn't shine off the edge like he has in the past. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. So let's start talking about the Titans' matchup with the Dolphins. And I think one of the big areas where the Titans are going to have to be challenged, and we'll talk a little bit more about this with Cameron Wolf when he comes on, is uh, the Dolphins have a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. They don't have the one guy. They don't have a Julio Jones, a Mike Evans, but they have a wealth of talent and guys who can do different things. Danny Amendola is going to be able to get open in the slot. He's shifty. He's a veteran guy who knows how to find open space. Kenny Stills is very much a deep threat. Uh, the, the tight end, Mike Gesicki, uh, is going to be able to really test the Titans over the middle of the field. And I feel like Devontae Parker, another guy who he's a bigger receiver, but he also has some speed as well. He's probably the, the closest thing they have to a do-it-all guy. So the, the Titans defensive backs, Ryan, Jackson, and Butler, but also the inside linebackers, uh, Jayon Brown, Rashawn Evans, Compton, and Woodyard, are going to have challenges too. And another guy I forgot to mention who's going to give these linebackers a challenge is Kenyon Drake, a guy who is really shifty and able to get open out of the backfield. Yeah, it really is a weird wide receiver room. Um, and like you said, they have an assortment of different receivers that could beat you in different ways. Um, I'm not even sure if Devontae Parker is going to play. Uh, he broke his finger, um, I think it was in a practice. Um, so he, he he's very much a doubt. Um, it's possible he doesn't play. Um, but Kenny Stills is their best receiver anyway. Um, he I think he's one of the more underrated receivers there is in the NFL. Um, he's never been under 14.6 yards per person in any year. Um, like you said, he's a deep threat, but he can beat you um, in the intermediate range too. Uh, we know what Danny Amendola could do, uh, and I bet Tannehill is going to look for him pretty often in the middle of the field. Um, and, and Albert Wilson is kind of in the same mold as Amendola. Uh, they went in similar ways, although Wilson's more of a screen screen guy who could, who can hurt you after the catch. Um, yeah, Kenyon Drake concerns me just because he, he's so shifty, so dynamic out of the backfield. Uh, but but I'm pretty confident in, in our in our inside linebackers being able to being able to stay with him, um, especially now that Jayon Brown's getting more playing time and we don't have to watch plotting Avery Williamson try to cover uh, <laughs> running back out of the backfield. <laughs> Take a moment yeah. to appreciate that fact that Avery Williamson will not be covering anyone in a Titans uniform this weekend. Arguably, he won't be covering anyone in a Jets uniform this weekend. Either. Arguably, never cover anybody. <laughs> Although, so, I'll tell you what, if we would have seen Avery Williamson cover Frank Gore on a pass play, the world would have exploded. <laughs> Just like watching molasses. Um, <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Like, I don't – I've said this before. Based on the skill positions, I don't see how the Dolphins are going to really move the ball. Like, I think the running backs are fine. Uh, I But, you know – Receiver, if Will, do you have a lawnmower the... next to your microphone? What did you that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Oh, that's okay, you? I was like, I can hear that too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, I don't think that's me. <laughs> Is that the air conditioning? That's my air conditioner. Hold on. You can keep going, Will. <laughs> Supposed to turn okay. off. Okay. So yeah, they have a really weird wide receiver, tight end, running back group. I don't really know how Miami's going to move the ball on the Titans if the defensive backs are really up to what we think they are. Everybody's trying to sell, uh, you know, Dolphins Twitter on Albert Wilson, the guy they got from Kansas City, but he had two catches against the Titans last year, and it's not like they were really focusing on covering him. So now you're talking about playing Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson. Jakeem Grant is fine, but... Super fast, and he's uh, yeah, returned a punt for a touchdown not, against the Titans in the past. 
Yeah, but he's not Tyreek Hill. Like he, oh, you know, no. I don't. No, no one is. I don't people, but yeah, people are gonna say like people are thinking that, and they this happens every year when you have a really athletic and a fast guy. You think you know, this is the year he's gonna put it together. He's gonna develop into a wide receiver, all that kind of stuff. I just don't like you. You can paint a picture that you know if he's great and they use him on jet sweeps and you know Albert Wilson is apparently great that they have a decent receiving core like but it's such a stretch to get it to even average that I, i'm just i don't know like it's got to be like a lot of really safe passes and the titans have to be for some reason playing off co- which they do every year year in and year out we're going to play 10 yards off the ball on third and 3 and drive me crazy doesn't matter who the defensive coordinator is or what but it, you know there will inevitably be a play or two like that, but unless the Titans are doing that, I don't really see how it should be competitive on the outside, at least. Running back, you know, you know, we talked about Kenyon Drake. It's it's great. You know, Frank Gore is not not it, but I don't know. I just don't really see how they match up well with the Titans. That's fair. I mean, yeah. even though I have the game on upset alert, just because I don't know. Yeah, I've but that's, that's been, it's because we've been burned so much before. Like, yeah. you know, like like we've talked about, like the Titans play down to competition all the time, which is infuriating. Uh, uh, see the Browns game last year? Yeah, like I, it just, it's just so hard to expect this team to take the next step forward. But logically, like I can't just go out and say this team's going to be on upset alert like just because I, I don't see how they could do it. Like I don't. Like I mean, the way they do it is if the Titans just shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. What mm-hmm. you mean? Are we saying that can't happen? No, I mean it definitely can. But you know, the Titans aren't going to get beaten. They will just let another team beat them. And what I mean by that is like they will shoot themselves in the foot enough to where it's almost impossible for them to win like with stupid turnovers or something like that. It's the only way. And if the offense isn't on rhythm and if it turns out that Rashard Matthews and Delaney Walker missing all that time actually does affect the timing of stuff, you know, I can see that happening, I guess, but it's not going to be because a couple of Miami players step up and do great. Like, it's not like they have a Sue that's going to take over the yeah. game. Like yeah. it, it's just, it, I just don't see that. I mean, I don't think you, you, you can't write these guys away. They have a lot of talent, and they have guys who, if you let them, will affect this game. Yeah, I mean, every team gets first-round draft picks every year. So, like, I mean, they have Fitzpatrick, who is was one of my favorite players coming out in the draft last year. He's great. You know, he can play, he can play all over the field. He's a genius. You know, listening to him break down, you know, his Mississippi State. It's either Mississippi State or Texas A&M game last year where he Same had, colors. like, the final – yeah, it's some maroon team. Um, but he he had this play that, you know, on the field, it just looks like him coming up and making a tackle or forcing a fumble. I forget it was a fumble or interception. But when he describes it in detail, he's talking about how, well, this right wide receiver split had changed for the first time in the game. And I noticed on film that he did that three weeks ago. He's, he's great. He could be a great player. But, you know, everybody swears up and down that Jamal Adams is the second coming of Troy Polamalu and Ed Reed combined. And the Jets were bad last year. I don't see that with him. I think he's good, but I don't see any Palomalu in him. If you if you Google if you Google if you search Twitter and search <laughs> Adams, like the top tweets will be like, I think he's an All Pro this year, first team, and it's not even debatable. Like people are insane over it because you know it it LSU he would blow up screens and do all that stuff, and like like. He's a good player too. Like I don't, I don't dislike Jamal Adams, but everybody is so ready to, you know, coronate all these people who they think are really good coming out, and because they don't fall on their face their first year, because they have a couple of highlights, people are ready for them to take this huge step forward. And that's just not how it goes. Like more often than not, at those positions, it's like Xavier Howard or like Kevin Byard who are quietly productive in their first year and then really take a big step forward the next year, not guys who have one or two highlights and also one or two lowlights and then nothing really in between. Yeah, I uh, I, I, don't know what this Dolphins team is going to look like, honestly. Because, like you said, a lot of those first-round picks and, and high draft picks, 
they all uh, kind of came on on defense. Um, and a lot of the, the offensive players are kind of the same. Uh, I mean, except for Wilson, Amendola, and I, I don't know how much we're really even going to see of Gasicki. Um, I don't know. Tannehill wasn't that good when uh, when when Gaze was uh, was his head coach before he got injured. Um, he really didn't throw for that many yards. I mean, his, his adjusted yards per attempt was fine. Um, but Tannehill is kind of a pedestrian quarterback. He's not really someone who's going to light you up at all. And I don't think he would be able to um, against a secondary anyway. Um, I don't know. I, but, I, but I do I do think this is going to be a, a bit of a low-scoring game. I, I don't think either team's going to be able to get too much going on offense. And one, I, I don't know if we're about to take something else on and talk about it, but right now the center, right guard, and right tackle for Miami is Daniel Kilgore, who's not good, Jesse Davis, who I have no idea who that is, and Jawan James, who I'm – you know, graduated Tennessee. I'm a Tennessee fan, but Jawan James has been bad in the NFL. So, like, that's their Didn't center. Did he just get a contract line. extension? Uh, I don't know, but Cameron Irving got a contract extension today, and he's terrible too. So, like, it, it, teams just are desperate for offensive line help. So, I mean, he may have, but I, I mean, Jarrell Casey's going to get to line up at three technique against this guy who name is Jesse Davis, who I guess exists. And, like, you're, you're going to have to face Brian Arakpo and Jarrell Casey with those three guys at some point. I mean, that's that's a huge uh, difference in talent. So, I, I don't know. That's just something I was noticing when looking over their offensive line. Yeah, and, and we could definitely attack them on uh, design blitzes. Uh, just The Dolphins just haven't had a good offensive line in in year. Um, they, they just have a lot of breakdowns. Uh, and they get beat pretty often. So even though our edge depth um, isn't great going into this game, I think Dean Pease and Variable can uh, can scheme up th- some things um, in order to generate pressure. And since we're on the topic of the Titans linebackers having to face these Dolphins running backs, before we continue our preview, here is my uh, interview from before Monday's practice with Titans linebacker Rashawn Evans. So you're, you're healthy. Are you excited for week one of your rookie season? Yeah, I see him. And, um, you know, week one is going to be an exciting time. Um, you know, I really don't know how they're going to use me, but I'm not really worried about it. You know, the number one thing is just getting out there, man, playing ball again, being around these guys. Did you play with Kenyon Drake? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Are you excited to face him this week? Yeah, I am, man. Kenyon Drake is a hell of an athlete. And, you know, just to be able to play against him, um, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of weird. But at the same time, man, uh, you know, it's something that we're going to get used to, you know, going on, going on in our career. So I'm excited. You missed a lot of training camp. You've returned to practice in the recent weeks. Uh-huh. How prepared do you feel to play this week? I feel very prepared. Um, you know, anytime that, you know, they need to use me in any package or whatever it is, whether it's rushing inside or whatever it is, um, you know, I'm going to be ready. So, man, uh, you know, like I said, man, the number one thing is just to be out there, be around these guys and just play ball. So you say you have a good grasp of Coach P's team. Absolutely. Um, Coach P's and then, too, you know, he's, he's an Alabama-type guy. You know, most of his schemes are Alabama-based. So, you know, it's really – really kind of easy for me to really kind of get acclimated to the defense like that, especially when he has that type of background. So, you know, it was very easy. I don't know if you've started watching the film yet, but what do you see in Ryan Tannehill? What do you look to defend against him? Um, Ryan Tannehill, he just, he's, he's obviously he's a vet. He has a lot of plays on his belt, and, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to try to, you know, uh, you know, really read you. You know, he's going to, you know, take what you give him. Um, I think in this game, you know, we, you know, we're just going to try to just play, play ball and just, you know, you know really just you know, perform off of what he does. And you know, Ryan Tannehill, he's going to, you know, make plays, which you know, that's the reason why they have that star quarterback. So for us, we're just going to just play our game, and I think everything else will take care of itself. In your inside linebacker room, you've got not only a lot of talent but a lot of veteran leadership, especially with Will and Wesley. Is there something they've been able to maybe there's some wisdom they've been able to impart to you since you've been here? Uh, I would say the the number one thing was just you know with the injury it was just you know make sure that you know um, I be patient with it I don't, don't rush anything it's this is a very long season and you know it could be even longer than that if you make it to the playoffs so uh, the number one thing they they rather me be healthy and be able to be available when the time comes so uh, that's that's the wisdom that they're giving me. So um, when when you look at the Dolphins' defense, we we've talked some or we will talk some, at least with, with Cameron Wolf about uh, they have some pass rushers. 
Minka Fitzpatrick, Rashad Jones. What do you guys think is the strength of this defense? Because, I don't know, you want to call it the defensive line, but it's like uh, their defensive line is almost like a 2012 Greatest Hits album. You know, Cameron Wake, Robert Quinn, Willie Hayes, you know, they were exciting at one point. Like, their whole team is basically a 2012 Greatest Hits album. Danny Amendola, yeah. Frank Gore, Ryan Tannehill was a first-round draft pick in 2012. I mean, I don't know. It does seem like their team has a lot of has-beens. Yeah, I mean, some of them are still good. Uh, like you said, William Hayes and Cameron Wake, even though they're getting into their mid-30s, um, they're still very productive pass rushers. Um, but, but I mean, you wonder how long they're going to, they're going to be able to keep that up for, uh, Robert Quinn, um, he kind of fell off a little bit, but he was good in preseason, um, uh, according to all the metrics. Um, and he's still 27 years old, I believe. So he's still 28. Uh, he's on the prime of his career, but he's still, he's still got a couple good years left in him. Charles Harris, Charles Harris really hasn't done much for them. Um, ever since getting drafted um, last year, he didn't really get that much of a chance um, just because he was behind uh, a couple of players. So we'll, we'll see how he's doing. Um, and Andre Branch was kind of a—I don't know—that was a weird, that was a weird uh, signing yeah. to me from, from yeah. the Jaguars. I just, yeah, it just—he never really put it all together. Um, so he doesn't really—he doesn't really, he doesn't really um, like scare me at all. Um, but if we're going to go uh, for a spot on their defense to attack, it, it's got to be the linebackers. Kiko Alonso is one of the most overrated linebackers in the entire league. <laughs> um, and then they're, they're, yeah. two, two of their other key prominent linebackers are Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan, um, two guys from Ohio State. Um, but they're just so young. McMillan tore his ACL in preseason last year. Uh, so he's a redshirt rookie. Um, and Jerome Baker is a rookie. Um and they just ha- they just haven't really shown anything. Um, I, we're going to talk about, about it later with Cameron Wolf, but uh, they got gashed in the in the preseason um, on runs. Uh, Christian McCaffrey went nuts on them uh, for a seventy four yarder. Um, so I, I really think there's a game where where Henry could just I, I don't know I don't know about run wild, but just co- consistently turn out five six yard gains. Um, and then if you can get these these young linebackers isolated one on one. Uh, with Deion Lewis on some pass plays out of the backfield, uh, I mean we're going to be able to move the ball rather efficiently. Yeah, and their their defensive tackles are really bad. I mean, uh, I mean not maybe not the worst in the league, but they just have nobody who is even above average. They've got Jordan Phillips, Akeem Spence, which is not a good starting combo. Uh, Godchow from LSU last year, who I think is actually okay or was in college. Um, and then Taylor Vincent. So they don't really have anything there unless maybe they kick, you know, Hayes inside for some plays and get something out of him. But I mean, defensive ends are scary, I guess, if they're, you know, healthy because it's week one of the season and they've, that, that's, that's something to watch. But really, their defensive backs are probably their strongest unit because they've got, if you like squint, you can see, okay, they're going to have Minka Fitzpatrick play. Rashad Jones is going to play. Xavier Howard has been getting nothing but good publicity. And Bobby McCain is, you know, not Bryce McCain. I mean, he's he's been good enough in his career to where he's – I mean, I, I, I like him fine. I don't think he's anything special. But, you know, like there, there are worse corners in the league. So, you know, in their base defense with four people out there, if they play Fitzpatrick's other start – I mean, they've got a pretty good defensive back group, but, you know, that doesn't do much for you if you can't stop the run because you're getting gashed inside. It, it puts you in a terrible position. So as scary as defensive backs are, I really don't think – I really just don't think you can do much if you can't get anything up the middle. So uh, we'll talk about it some more with, with Cameron Wolf. But one of the interesting parts of this Dolphins team is the backfield. It's part of their 2012 Greatest Hits album. They have Kenyon Drake from Alabama, very fast, quick guy who can catch passes out of the backfield, sort of wiggle up the middle. And then someone they're going to have stealing carries from him is, uh, what's his name? Frank Gore, future Hall of Fame running back. 
who somehow is still playing. At, What's his name? What? Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? The greatest who, back of our <laughs> somehow is still playing at whatever age he is. Um, they need to be giving all these carries to Kenyon Drake. I love Frank Gore. I, I, I remember back when the 49ers were really good watching him play. But I don't know. I, I think that they may say Frank Gore is going to get most of the touches, but any touch Frank Gore gets is them being cute at the end of the day, right? <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't put it past a modern NFL coach to just – give Frank Gore 150 to 200 carries this year because I don't, I mean, uh, Jonathan Stewart last year for the Carolina Panthers was God awful. He got 198 carries and they didn't let Christian McCaffrey uh, get a lot of carries just because actually, I don't know why I'm assuming they just, they, they figure that McCaffrey just can't handle the workload. Um, and I feel like the Dolphins probably think the same about Drake, even though he's 6'1", 2'11". Um, and over the last five weeks of last season, um, he was able to, to be almost an every down back. Um, so it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't even know why Frank Gore's on the team, to be honest with you. Uh, he, he hasn't been over four yards per carry since 2014. I know he can still offer you... I mean, three three yards in a cloud of dust, and maybe if you really need to, um, put him in pass protection because he can still pass block. Um, but I mean, just just groom someone else to do that. Uh, they drafted Kalen Ballage, who who's actually kind of kind of like a prototypical um, every down running back. He's really good at catching passes, and he's huge, like six two two forty something like that, and he's fast. Um, but he should play a role. Um, this season, but I don't think he will. I, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. But I actually think Gore is going to take a lot of carries away from Drake, um, just because the Dolphins kind of want to look out for Drake, uh, even though they're probably wrong in doing so. Yeah, the big thing with Kenyon Drake is he's just never really proven that he could do it for any long stretch of time. I mean, he started six games last year, which we talked about, and I mean. He had 640, I mean, he only had 133 carries. So, like, they obviously don't, this coaching staff with Jay Cutler at quarterback obviously didn't view him as a starter when they had Jay Ajayi, which, okay, I can get. But then Jay Ajayi gets traded, you know, that guy's got to come in and be, you know, if you're going to trade Jay Ajayi, you've got to say, okay, well, Kenyon Drake's our guy. And I don't really think they did that. So I think Kenyon Drake can be good. I just think at the end of the day, they're going to look back and say, well, this guy's carried the ball 250 times for the last 12 years and been able to be a decent up-the-middle guy. Let's give him that role in our offense instead of letting Kenyon Drake, who hadn't you know, done it for a full season before, carry our team. So I don't know if that's the right or the wrong decision just because you know I, don't, I haven't seen enough of Kenyon Drake to really vouch for him, but – I just think coaches continue to play Frank Gore just out of respect for him, which isn't necessarily the right thing to do, but I just think it's what's going to happen. All right, we are about to welcome Cameron Wolf of ESPN.com onto the show, but before we do that, I had the chance to talk with Jarrell Casey, Pro Bowl defensive lineman for the Titans, prior to Monday's practice about the fact that the Titans are going to have played the Dolphins four years in a row and whether that experience helps at all. So looking forward to the start of the season. Oh, definitely. Always great, you know, to get back at it. Uh, definitely been a long time off, but, you know, back at the grind. And this is where it's all starting to count now. This is going to be your fourth time, fourth year in a row playing the Dolphins. Obviously, it's a different team every year. But does that experience come in handy at all? Oh, um, definitely. You know, you get a, you get a kind of a, a advantage because you, now you know what type of schemes they like. Like I said, it changed a little bit here and there, but a lot of teams kind of stay kind of closer, kind of similar. They don't switch it way too crazy. So you definitely get an advantage of knowing what they what they like and what to expect from them. You guys have had some success against Tannehill, particularly the last time you played in Miami. But what is it about him that makes him tough to defend? Just a guy that know how to keep a play alive. You know, he know how to scramble in the pocket. He, he know how to find his guys downfield. He just, you know, he is a smart quarterback. And you got to be smart on defense to make sure we, you know, we can combat that. So we definitely want to make sure we're bringing the heat on. Can you tell when you're out there that he has a wide receiver background from college just by the way he plays and conducts himself? I can definitely tell he's an athletic cat. You know, I wouldn't say necessarily you can tell he used to play receiver, but you can definitely tell he's athletic. You know, he know how to operate. You can tell he got some wheels behind him, so you definitely know how you know he can run. So, you know, he definitely, he definitely did something back in his, in his um, heyday that gave him all the ability he got now. 
Frank Gore is in his first year with the Dolphins, but you guys are familiar with him since he's formerly from the AFC South. What is he so good at that allows him to still play and have 1,000-yard seasons into his mid-30s? Relentless rusher, man. He, he nodded. He's not a run with his pads behind, um, behind him, man. You know, that's where all good backs, you know, he's going to duck that shoulder, he's going to find his gaps, and when he find them, he's hitting them full speed. So, you got to make sure we're gap sound, make sure we're not jumping around, and as long as we do that, we can take care of the run game. You guys will be facing not just him, but Kenyon Drake out of the backfield. How do you feel about your continuity at the defensive, in the defensive line with you and, and Daquan, Austin, uh, Benny, your ability to stop Miami's run game? We've been good, you know. I think I think we've been good over the last couple of years. We did good in the uh, preseason. It's just about being gap sound, like I said earlier. Being gap sound, making sure we take care of our responsibility. And I think we should we should be good and come out of the game pretty healthy with it. Last thing I want to ask you is about Matt Dickerson. Made the 53-man roster. What did he do during training camp that impressed you and that allowed him to be a part of this football team today? Just every day came to work, man. He was just consistent day in and day out. Coaches, they see they see something in him that is going to help us and help this team. So I'm definitely glad to have him here. He worked his tail off, and now I'm just ready to see what he's going to do for the rest of the season. All right, now we are going to welcome a former Titans beat writer, current Dolphins beat writer for ESPN.com, Cameron Wolf, onto the show. He was one of our very first guests in our first season, uh, so we're glad to welcome him back onto the show. How is uh, how's Miami been to you? It's been good, man. It's been good. Can't complain at all. <laughs> uh, me, Will and I are uh, we're, we're from Tennessee, but Matias is actually from Miami, so he. Uh, oh really? Yeah, he's our mm-hmm. our uh, Titans Miami resident. Uh, yeah. Miami correspondent. Yeah. So, it's nice down here. Yeah. You're, you're gonna you're gonna love it. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and hop in. Uh, before we hop into talking about this week's game specifically, I wanted to talk, uh, Cam, about the feature you did on Malcolm Butler. It was the last thing you did while you were on the Titans beat. And I read that, and I found it really interesting. So before we hop into any of this stuff, I just want to get your thoughts on, on like doing that feature and maybe what was the coolest thing that you saw or learned when you were in Vicksburg and, and hanging out with Malcolm. Yeah, I think that was a cool story because, you know, I think everybody knows Malcolm for those two Super Bowl moments. So mm-hmm. I thought about that story, like, right when he had signed. And, you know, luckily I was able to make a good relationship with him and his people to be able to get it done. But I would never seen anybody really go back to where he was from and kind of tell it from there, that element of it. Everything was more focused about after what happened to him after the Super Bowl. So I thought it was really cool to – be with him in his element. He drove me around his city, uh, which was very small. Like we drove from from edge to edge of of Vicksburg, uh, you know, back and forth several times, and it didn't take up too much time. So uh, I thought it was cool to see how how everybody flocked to him in the city. He was sort of that hero that you know, and he was so down to earth. Yeah. You know, guy, people would come up, take pictures with him, and he, he you know, being there eating Popeyes and you know, <laughs> hanging out. In the, Hanging out in the casino area, or you know, running on the field with his, with his, uh, with with his, uh, with the people who went to his high school and kids and whatnot. So there was a lot of uh, hometown feel, and that was, you know, it was it was a good a good thing to feel for me, you know, because a lot of times we look at these athletes as they're above and beyond, you know, regular people, and he just felt like a regular guy to me that weekend. So um, I, I think that it was really important for me to tell that portion of the story along with. Obviously, you know what he what he thought about the Super Bowl and everything that happened for that, and then what's happening in Tennessee. So I thought that I was able to get a lot of good information from him, from people around him. Uh, some of his coaches that coached him in high school and college really gave me good insight on who he is as a man. Um, and it was it was a fun a fun thing to do for the TV piece and the written piece, and um, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. And you, you mentioned just how down to earth he was with fans. Just in the short time that I've been able to be around him at practice and in the locker room, he's quickly become one of my favorite players to talk to and interview, just because he is very genuine. And you know, you get a lot of coach speak sometimes from players, and oh, I'd rather be somewhere else. But I always get the sense when I talk to him that he's listening and that he, he cares about providing quality answers. Did you kind of get that vibe from him too? Yeah, yeah. The thing about him is, like, he's a southern kid, like, truly a country southern kid. Yeah. That town is really small. So, like, he hasn't been used to a lot of this stardom. And um, even now that he's got it, you know, you, you 
get the feel that he's grateful. Like every day he's grateful. It's not, you know, a lot of guys they they have to do the media because it's an obligation and, you know, they, they have to, you know, do certain things because it's an obligation. I'm sure he feels like that in some ways, but I think for him, he truly feels like he's still that undrafted kid who had to, you know, be the 90th man on the roster to make the team. So I think he still has those humble beginnings in the back of his mind, and I think you see that through his personality, the way he interacts with people, the way he works. You know, John Robinson talked to me several times talking about just how, how much his work ethic and drive was had a big impact on him signing him. You know, just he, he mentioned it to the public about him running on the field, you know, at 7 a.m., the day after he signed a contract. So, you know, just little things like that about a guy that you don't typically see, especially a guy who's made it, you know, making $60 million, uh, really makes him relatable for people. And I think some of his mistakes that I highlighted in the story also makes him relatable to people as well. So let's hop into this Titans-Dolphins game that's coming up this week. It's the season opener for both teams. And as we hop into talking about that, the one thing that struck me about uh, Vrabel's first press conference of the week yesterday was four or five times he brought up the fact that one of the things the Titans are going to have to do is focus on Miami not huddling. And I didn't even realize that the Dolphins put that much of an emphasis on that. So first question we'll ask you about this game is throughout training camp, you know, the first couple days of regular season practice, how much of an emphasis has Gase and, and Tannehill been putting on this idea of the no huddle offense? Yeah, no, I think it's been a big emphasis. I know we talked about it a bunch with, with Mariota out there in Tennessee because that's where he excels. But I think a lot of quarterbacks do, especially, you know, this modern era. And even though Tannehill's 30, he still comes from that modern era where a lot of these colleges play up tempo and look towards the sidelines and, you know, have that sort of uh, that, that no huddle up tempo style. And I think Gase is trying to create that sort of thing in Miami. Um, he mentioned earlier this week or last week that he his ideal would be to get 70 plays. And although he was super – 70 plays a game. And although he was super optimistic on that, you know, given that no team has run 70 plays since 2014 Philadelphia Eagles with Chip Kelly, I think that sort of gives you an idea of how – how he wants to run this team. He wants things to run fast. He wants to do a lot of plays, and he's going to focus more on those shorter play completions rather than you know uh, long developing plays. So I, I think, especially with the Titans banged up on that front seven, you're going to see a lot of their uh, offense focusing on uh, trying to get get it going as far as quick as they can when the play clock is running. Hey Cameron, this is Matthias. Uh, I want to talk a uh, talk a little bit about uh, the Dolphins' defense um, because it, it's kind of a weird assortment to me. There's a lot of underrated talent, in my opinion, um, but they have they have a lot of veterans, uh, particularly particularly along the defensive line like Robert Quinn um, and William Hayes and Cameron Wake. Uh, they also have Rashad Jones back there at safety. He's a fantastic player, uh, a veteran presence. Uh, but then they have a lot of young guys who are kind of unproven. Xavier uh, Howard isn't necessarily unproven, and I, I think he's actually uh, on the verge of becoming one of the next star cornerbacks in the NFL. But then you have Minka Fitzpatrick, who's going to have have a, have a role on the defense. Uh, Cordrea Tankersley should have a role, uh, but he's still unproven. And then at the linebacker core, they have two guys from Ohio State. Uh, one of them is a rookie, Jerome Baker. And then Rayquan McMillan, he was kind of, he's kind of a retro rookie because I believe he tore his ACL in the preseason last year. Um, so are you expecting growing pains from this defense early on? And can we see some of the, some of the young guys kind of struggle in this? first game against the Titans? Yeah, no, that's one thing I'm really interested to see because that was a big problem area for the Dolphins all preseason. Um, particularly up front was their front, their front seven has really struggled to stop the run, which is not something you want to have happen when you're facing the team like the Titans with their running backs. So they really struggled. They're one of the worst teams in the preseason to stopping the run. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had a huge run against them where, you know, they mm-hmm. just got blown out of the lane. So, you know, that's been a huge struggle. And a big part of that is that their linebacker core is so young. They have Raekwon McMillan, and you mentioned Jerome Baker, who one in Baker is a starter, uh, a rookie starter, and the other in McMillan um, is essentially a rookie starter because he got injured before he played a game last year. So you don't really have any vets uh, outside of Kiko Alonso on that second level. And then on the front the front level, you, obviously you have you know Cam Wake and, and Robert Quinn who are veterans, but in the middle you have a couple second- and third-year players 
um, who are going to get a lot of snaps at defensive tackle, and they aren't really established or proven at that point. So I think that's probably the weak point of this defense, um, that front seven, particularly in stopping the run. And then on the back end, they're still trying to find that second established corner opposite of Xavier Howard um, to lock down one of the boundaries. They have Bobby McCain, who's truly a slot corner. He's a really solid slot corner, but he, he is a slot corner who's playing outside because they don't have another corner who has you know established himself to be enough. So that's another area where they could really be uh, exposed, um, not only this game, but going forward. So that that's sort of my view of this defense. Um, like you mentioned, they do have a really good pass rush. Um, their edge rushers are probably the, the deepest unit on their team. So if they can get ahead or if they can get a pass rush, particularly if Jack Conklin doesn't play, then that could be trouble uh, for, for Marcus Mariota and that O-line. Hey, Cameron, this is Will. Um, so going from the defense to the offense, with Jarvis Landry gone, is there a guy who's stepping up and really the focal point of this offense, or is it more of a committee kind of thing where – you know, they're just going to spread touches around and really try to go, you know, short game, all that kind of stuff, or are they going to try to funnel the offense through one person? Yeah, I imagine that you'll see a lot of dink and dunk in this Dolphins offense. Um, we didn't see much of any, you know, we saw maybe less than five uh, throws past 10 yards from the first-team offense um, this preseason. And although, you know, Adam Gase has mentioned that they, they kept some things and they're in their holster like most teams do for the for the regular season. Um, you know, this clearly is a team that wants quick, you know, three step drop, uh, sometimes five step drop throws. I think you'll see a lot of, you know, throws to the running back King and Drake who's really good out of the backfield. I think you'll see them use Danny Amendola and Albert Wilson on short routes quite a bit. Um, and like you like you mentioned, I, I think that there will be a sort of a committee approach. Uh, Jarvis Landry had over 100 catches last year, and nobody's going to get even close to that on the Dolphins this year. They're going to spread it around, whether it's Kenny Stills, whether it's Danny Amendola or Albert Wilson. Uh, Delonte Parker is a little bit questionable for this game, and I'm not sure he's going to play. But those three, for sure, are going to get quite a bit of uh, targets spread around, um, you know, now that Jarvis is gone. Regarding this offense, you talk about, you know, they're going to spread the ball out. Uh, Danny Amendola is going to have a role. The centerpiece of this offense, as with any offense, is going to be the quarterback, Tannehill. This is a guy who it's been, I'm trying to think, what, like 19 months or so since he's played a game of, of NFL yep. football. It's been a long time because his uh, 2016 yep. season was cut short by injury, missed all of last year. Before that injury, the year that Miami went to the playoffs a couple years ago, he was playing really well, was clearly the leader of that offense. Are we going to see the same Ryan Tannehill that we saw two years ago? Does he still have you know, the mobility that, that made him so well-known because he had the receiver background? Is he any different than what we've seen in the past from him? Yeah, they hope. Uh, here's the thing with Ryan Tannehill, and I think he's sort of a guy that either forgotten about or sort of, uh, thrown to the side when you discuss quarterbacks because he's not, you know, he's not elite in any one thing, um, but he's not a guy who who typically throws away games or, or becomes a detriment. I think what you're going to see is the Ryan Tannehill of old, for better or for worse. I don't think he's going to be, you know, significantly better than he was before the injury, but I do think that he can return to be that quality of player. And that was a guy who, you know, completed 65 to 67% of his throws, uh, you know, th- throwing, you know, a uh, two-to-one touchdown at the interception ratio, and he's really good on short and intermediate routes. So I think you'll see that player. Uh, he's moved around in the pocket a little bit this preseason, so I haven't really seen much signs from him as a uh, as far as his injury. Uh, he's wearing a brace, but it doesn't seem to be holding him back. I don't think you'll see a ton of read option with him just because they want to protect him a little bit more. But as far as him moving out, legs, being on the move, we've seen all that this preseason, and I think you'll see it uh, against Tennessee on Sunday. Uh, I wanted to ask your opinions, um, your opinion on uh, the running back situation because it's very intriguing to me. Uh, Kenyon Drake has been one of the one of the more efficient uh, running backs on a per touch basis over the last two years, um, and we saw that he can actually carry a full workload uh, as he did over the uh, final five seasons. 
uh, f- final five games of the of last season. Um, and, and he's also a very adept uh, pass catcher. Um, but they brought in Frank Gore, who's 35. And as a UM alumni, I love him. I will always love him. Uh, but he hasn't been over four yards per carry since um, since 2014. Uh, I know he's been beh- behind some bad Indianapolis Colts offensive lines, but he just doesn't. He seems like a low ceiling player at this point. Um, how do you see that backfield? And do you think Drake should be the one that's really dominating the touches? He should, but Adam Gase is doing enough to drive uh, fantasy football owners crazy because yeah. <laughs> he keeps listening to uh, Frank Gore and King and Drake as, as co-starters. Um, I don't imagine it'll go that way. Um, you know, I could be wrong, but everything I've seen this preseason, everything I've heard from both backs, everything I've heard from Adam Gase, both uh, in publicly and off to the side, has indicated that they're going to let King and Drake become the lead back if he proves that he can handle it. I think that Frank Gore is there um, to be a safety valve, to be a guy who's obviously going to take some short yardage carries and some uh, some goal line carries, and to be a guy who can uh, can spell King and Drake so that they don't run him into the ground. But one thing King and Drake hasn't hasn't done is be a three down three down workhorse back throughout his career, whether in college or in the NFL. He played and shared the load with Derrick Henry at Alabama. And uh, here he hasn't had a chance to be the lead back. So I think there's a lot of thought that, hey, we may not be able to give this guy 20 to 25 carries a game, uh, but we can let him, you know, get 15 to 18 and really try to establish himself as a lead back and then get Frank Gore mixed in there uh, in situations where he can succeed. Uh, But I do think that you're going to see most of the game will be King and Drake, uh, you know, in the backfield. Uh, so John Robinson's first real critical decision as a GM was to pass on Tunsil really twice, once with the number one overall pick and then once when he traded back up to take Conklin. After seeing Conklin, Lawan, and Tunsil all kind of up close, do you think the Titans made the right decision or has Tunsil just looked that good in person? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I think um, I sort of talked to Taylor Lawan about this when I was in Tennessee, and I'm, I know he mentioned that they had a conversation before the draft about about offensive tackles and, and John Robinson sort of made it known that they were thinking about taking one and Taylor Lewan said that hey you know uh, you know I'm don't draft you know you're going to draft a right tackle essentially <laughs> and uh, he, he basically was saying hey I'm not moving off my spot like nobody's going to beat me off this spot so at that time and, and still now Laramie Tunsil's a true left tackle and I'm sure he could play right tackle but Jack Conklin was considered uh, clearly, you know, right tackle and probably the best pure right tackle in that class. So I think if you look at it at their positions, you know, I, I think they made the right decision. Jack has had more uh, success early on than Laramie has. Um, but, you know, also Jack is hurt right now and, you know, we're, we're yet to see how he comes back. Uh, but given, you know, the the way this team set up and the way, way they want to run things, I think both teams are happy the way it fell. And uh, luckily for the Dolphins, the off-the-field thing that kind of caused Laramie to drop hasn't really shown up as an NFL player. So I I think, you know, both teams would probably redo things the way they did them uh, if they had a chance. What have you seen so far through training camp, preseason, and the the first couple of regular season practices from the Dolphins' first two draft picks, Minka Fitzpatrick and Mike Jasicki? Jasicki seems to be the kind of guy that – in a dink and dunk offense, will get a lot of volume since he plays that tight end spot. And he, he reminds me of almost kind of like the Jason Witten style of tight end. You know, he's not going to be running by anybody, but he seems like the kind of guy who can just get open and, and outsize people for the ball. And, and Minka Fitzpatrick is someone where there's a lot of talk before the draft. Is he a cornerback? Is he a slot guy? Is he a safety? Is he, you know, where do you play him? So what have you seen particularly from those two guys? Yeah, they love, love, love Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, they think that he is going to be uh, a star in this league. Um, maybe not this year, but they think eventually. And they think that he has defensive player of the year type uh, type potential this year. Um, he's a guy who they've been throwing everywhere. Versatility has sort of been the word that they've used nearly every time they mention Minka's name, um, whether teammates, coaches, et cetera. Um, and he's the guy who can, they've mentioned, that can change the team culture. 
Uh, he's, you know, really, really smart, intelligent guy. He obviously comes from the Alabama system, so he's learned uh, from Nick Saban. Nick Saban calls, you know, he gets the reference that he's Nick Saban's son, so to speak, the way he did things out there in Alabama. Um, and on the field, he's he's looked just as good. So I, I don't want to go a little overboard with the praise because he hasn't played yet, but I, I think by the end of the year, you'll look and say that Minka Fitzpatrick was one of the best picks um, in this draft. Um, he's that type of player. So they, he's going to play a lot of nickel corner for them uh, because of their corner you know, struggles. They have two safeties who are starting caliber safeties. I think eventually he probably is going to move into more of that free safety role. But for right now, he's a hybrid player. Um, they're going to use him like maybe the, Mal- the Eagles use Malcolm Jenkins, where he plays some safety but also plays a lot of slot corner um, and, and tries to defend a lot of tight ends and slot receivers. Um, and as far as Mike Gesicki, he's a guy who I talked to Kenny Stills earlier this offseason, and he, he said that he talks to him a lot about Jimmy Graham because they played together in New Orleans, and he thinks that he has that type of potential. Um, and that's that's high praise given what Jimmy Graham has done in this league. Another guy where you want to see it in the games uh, before you start saying that you know he can be this guy or that guy. Uh, you won't see him much as a blocker. That's just not his game, uh, and the Dolphins understand that. I think he'll be used, particularly as a rookie, as a specialty player. I don't know if you're going to see him play. You know, 75% of the snaps you may see him on third downs and red zone situations. So he may be a guy where you see more touchdowns than yards this season. Uh, but I think long-term he could be a player who can be a safety valve for Ryan Tannehill and a player who can end up being one of the better receiving tight ends in this league um, in a few years. Last question before we let you go. Since you're an expert on both of these teams, I'm curious what matchups between the Titans and Dolphins, like particularly positional matchups, do you think are going to be the most intriguing and maybe the ones that ultimately this game comes down to? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think this is a a huge, huge matchup for the Dolphins. Uh, front seven against the uh, the the Dolphins, uh, the Titans running backs, uh, Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. Um, if I was uh, if I was the Titans offensive coordinator, and Matt Lafleur is plenty plenty smart, so he doesn't need my advice. But uh, <laughs> I would make this a huge uh, Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis game. Uh, I would, you know, I know you want to get Marcus Mariota, you know, rolling. But I would really focus on running the ball with Derrick Henry, uh, running it with Deion Lewis, and getting Deion Lewis active out of the backfield against their linebackers and seeing if they can cover this guy, seeing if they can tackle him, seeing if they can tackle Derrick Henry. Because they haven't shown me much of anything this preseason or this offseason that make me confident to think that they can stop that unit. So that's one matchup I'm looking at and seeing if maybe the Dolphins can surprise me there. Um, but I think that's an area where the Titans have a clear advantage, uh, particularly if their offensive line has improved over what we saw uh, towards the end of last season. And then the other, I'll go on the other side of the ball for, for this matchup, and I'll say uh, essentially how do the, uh, the Titans defend the Dolphins' hurry-up offense and their plethora of receivers. You know, there's no true number one receiver on this team, but there's four or five guys who can – you know, uh, make an impact on any given play. Um, so I think you'll see a lot of three and four receiver uh, formations, a lot of crossing routes, a lot of five to seven yard routes, and they're going to really challenge the how the cohesiveness of the Titans DBs and see how you know vocal they can be in covering things. And they're going to ch- test the uh, the conditioning level of that defense as a whole, particularly that front seven, given what's going on with injuries with you know Harold Landry and. And, uh, you know, Brian Arakbo, Derek Morgan, you know, not sure how many of those guys are going to be able to go. But, you know, they may wear out if they can succeed and do that up-tempo offense the way they want. So those are probably the two areas I'm going to keep a close eye on uh, as we go into the game on Sunday. Cam, thanks so much for your time. Uh, We miss you being down here in Nashville on the Titans beat, but we're glad you're enjoying Miami and continuing your good work over there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, and keep up the good work out there. Take care. Thanks. So as we start to wrap up our first preview episode of the season, uh, let's look at uh, keys to the game. We got Cameron's keys to the game. We, we appreciate him joining us, of course. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that, that my key matchup for this game is going to be the Titans' defensive line versus the Dolphins' offensive line. 
can the Titans' defensive line, and, and that includes Arakpo and whoever the other edge rushers are, can they get penetration? Can they stop the run? Can they force Tannehill to throw those short, quick dink and dunk passes? Because if they're doing that, I have enough trust in, in Jayon Brown and Wesley Woodyard and, and in the cornerbacks to, to do their jobs well enough where it's not even going to matter if they dink and dunk down the field. So that, that's what I'm going with my matchup of the game is the Titans D-line and outside backers versus uh, the Dolphins offensive line, which includes Tunsil and Jawan James. Yeah, uh, people are going to be sick of me talking about this, but uh, we need to attack their linebackers. So um, I, I really want to see our offensive line um, get to the second level and get to those linebackers um, and just move them off their spots, uh, whether it's on screen passes or just regular running plays. I think if we can, if if the offensive line could get to the second level um, and block for both Henry and Deion Lewis, or even on even on wide receiver screens, honestly, um, I think the Titans' offense could really get in a nice rhythm um, and move the ball down the field uh, very well. Uh, mine probably be Corey Davis. Um, I almost went with Taewon Taylor, but I think based on what we've heard about how they're moving the receivers around in practice and kind of what they were doing towards the end of training camp. It seems like what they're going to try to do with Rashard back is move Corey Davis and Rashard mostly outside and then bring in Taewon Taylor to play outside and maybe Tajay Sharp based on how they played him. But somebody else will play that outside uh, spot and Corey Davis will come and play the slot, which he was amazing at in college, mainly because he's 6'4 and athletic and smooth in his routes. So it's really hard for smaller guys to keep up with him and to be in a position to interfere with the ball. Um, if they use him as kind of a hybrid between Cooper Cup and Robert Woods as kind of a do-everything guy, like, I mean, he could end this game with eight catches for 96 yards and a touchdown, you know, something like that, where it's not a stat line where you're like, wow, he had huge plays, but he's just consistently making chain-moving plays and eventually getting in the end zone. I think that's what I would look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely agree with both of those. So, all right. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, enjoy the game, everybody, on Sunday. Big thanks to Cam Wolf again for joining us. We will see everybody or talk to everybody sometime next week. Until then, uh, have fun and enjoy the game. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.